Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. Welcome to Series 7 of Helpful Social Work. I'm Jerry. I'm Jo. Jerry and I will be recording Series 7 during 2022-2023. I still can't believe that's where we are, but anyway, yep. Um, it will be a slightly shorter series so that we can fit it in before the end of March 2023. So we'll be aiming to do about five or six podcasts this time. We're also really keen to do some podcasts with guests, social workers who want to talk about what helpful social work means for them. Um, and that can really come in any form that you want. So please do get in touch if you want to do this. And you can reach us through our website, www.helpfulsocialwork.com. So in this series, we really want to go back to some of the central elements of social work practice and think about how we use our whole self to practice social work. In each podcast, we're going to look at an element of our physical practice and explore what goes into that area. So we've structured them loosely um, on our human senses. So today we're going to start with listening and speaking. Just a reminder that you can find um, all of our podcasts from series one to six at www.helpfulsocialwork.com. We really hope that you enjoy the podcast. Thank you for listening. So listening and speaking, thought if we started with some definitions, and I mean, there's lots of overlap between different words that we use in kind of common language. I was reflecting on why we chose listening and speaking rather than hearing and talking. <laughs> but listen, when you look it up in the, the free dictionary, which is the one I tend to use on the internet, to make an effort to hear something or to pay attention or heed. So that seems to me like a bit more than just hearing because um, hearing definition is to perceive sound by the ear. So there's almost like a an effort or an action kind of moving mm. towards the the thing that the person's saying um, or the noises that are being made. And of course, actually, we're going to talk mostly in this podcast about ver verbal listening and speaking, you know, listening to words and, and saying words. But there's there's lots more noises in social work, aren't there, that you hear and pay mm -hmm. attention to. And there's also lots more um, ways of communicating than just words. Um, and then speaking, again, that's producing words by means of sounds or um, express thoughts or feelings to convey information. So, again, that feels like kind of really deliberate. Um, and there's also other elements that come into speaking to engage in conversation. Um, this idea of being on speaking terms, which is about having some kind of friendly relationship, which enables you to communicate with someone. There's also an idea of conveying messages by nonverbal means. So, for example, the proverb actions speak louder than words. So that's used as speak or something um, about being appealing. So, again, speaking to someone's heart or um, this speaks to me, we say, don't we, when something kind of really resonates. Mm. Uh, and again, that does feel a bit more like it feels a bit more than just to say, which is essentially to express something in words. Um, but there is lots of overlap. And in the professional capabilities framework, which is the framework for social workers in England, experienced social worker uh, talks about building productive working relationships and communicating effectively. And so communication is kind of the, the, the word that covers all of this listening and speaking um, and within the 
capabilities framework, we, um, social workers communicate skillfully and confidently in complex or high-risk situations when they become experienced, um, model and help others to develop excellent communication skills in diverse contexts. So we're both communicators ourselves and also enablers of communication in others. Um, and again, looking at the definition of communicate, there's an idea of clarity within that about making something understandable, conveying some information or revealing something. Um, and it, it also within the free dictionary definition, it says to express oneself in such a way that one is readily and clearly understood, which is just a really nice way of thinking about it. So I guess all of this boils down to the idea of purposeful listening and speaking. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've, there's a lot in those definitions that you've just read out, and it really makes me think. And for me, it's interesting you landed on the word purposeful because the word I was hearing was intentionality. Um, and I really like the idea of making an effort to hear something. And, and I think that concept is particularly important in social work. For me, um, we need to enter every encounter prepared to make the effort to really hear what the other person is communicating. And as you touched on before, too, you said that, you know, yes, it, that listening and speech is there. But when we're listening, we're not just listening to the speech. We're really watching body language. We're watching the rate and the flow of the speech. Yeah. We're listening to the tone in which people deliver their message and the words they use. And all of that is happening in the encounter. And on top of that, what is often happening, um, and this is kind of the tension, I think, is that too often we're guilty of waiting for them to finish, for our turn to start or of preparing for our response, for our reaction. Um, and those things, in truth, good listening requires us to be able to follow all the signals offered by the other party, manage our own signaling back in the way we hold our body and our face and manage our own verbal utterances. And that makes it a really complex job. And the thing that, that fascinates me is that we do it automatically all the time. And it's only when we break it down into all the components that go into doing it well, like if we listed everything you had to do to actually do that job of hearing someone, of listening well, it becomes quite overwhelming. Yeah, and that's with there's the sort of surface listening and then the deeper listening. There's like all these different layers as well, aren't there? Mm. It is really complex. It, it really is, yet it's the most critical skill we have but to really seek to understand someone's position, even when they don't know it properly themselves. I think that's very therapeutic because the idea is in, in social work, when we have these encounters, we're creating space for someone else to follow their own wandering thoughts, kind of to untangle their bruised and distressed and heightened emotions and then to be able to hear themselves, and, and that's a real gift. Mm. And it's one that's not always easy to offer in a world of timelines, high caseloads and agendas. And too often, both in my practice and personally, I've watched someone sit with their pad on their lap, 
asking question after question, not really listening, but rather recording the utterances the other person is making without any real attempt to understand the quality of that communication. Yeah, and that goes down, back to the idea of intentionality, doesn't it? It's like, what outcome do you want from the communication? Yeah. It's not to fill in a form, it's to understand something. And that might or better be still that you don't help the, the other person under, let the other person understand something because mm. I don't think people always know the answers to all the things we ask, mm. um, and I think that this is particularly true when people are distressed or confused or ashamed or frightened or they're trying to hang on to what they value, um, they're trying to prevent what they fear will happen. You know, like going into care home, having their children taken into care, losing independence, facing unpleasant consequences of their actions, exposing their suffering. All of that stuff is knotted up mm. in all of the communication. And that really that real seeking first to understand requires us to allow somebody to work their way through all of that to give us their sense of the truth. Um, and we'll have that as well, won't we? I was reading uh, some research yesterday about, it was, it was from Gillian Roosh from like 10 years mm, ago about how, how um, this kind of support that social workers need and the recognition of the emotional labour and that the social workers are carrying anxiety. So when, mm. when we're going into these communication encounters, the other person's anxious, but we're anxious too. Yes. <laughs> so actually, it's doubly hard to to create that safe space. Because um, you, you mentioned the word agenda, but if you if you feel like you're um, tasked with getting something done, and that there's risk attached, or there's you know mm. consequences attached to whether you're able to to do that or not, it it does really heighten the the stakes, and you know it makes it harder to to create the kind of therapeutic space you need to. Yeah, and I think that's where, you know, for me, the motivation on both sides for communicating at all has to form part of the acknowledged context for the listening. And so for me, I, I kind of came up with, and I mean, I think Gillian Roosh's work is just really fantastic and, and well worth visiting again and again. It's very insightful. Um, but I kind of thought compassionate listening is is what we kind of need to aim for here, um, which allows us to understand the space we create for people to manage their internal world and find a way to share some of their life with us. That, that Then that kind of space between us needs to be really filled with kindness, doesn't it? Yeah. In our presence, in our intent and in the way we project. And I've, I came up with this word spirit. I, there's probably a better word, but it's that, you know, that that unspoken, unacknowledged sense of each other that we get. Yeah, that kind of sense of each other's humanity, isn't it? Which is where treating people with respect and dignity and all those other things come from. That almost kind of kinship. Yes, yeah. yes. And things that we we pick that up in each other, that we pick it up without it ever being expressed or said or any of those kind of things, you know, that, that communication, that understanding of how we are, how our presence is, it really matters. And for me, I kind of got this image of the confession box. Now I'm not a Catholic and I've never confessed, 
but I have sat in the dark telling someone whom I couldn't see, who was just listening silently but also comfortingly about something that was really distressing me. And it felt so safe. And the safety was in the silence, but it was also in the comfort that their presence was emanating. I didn't feel judged. I didn't feel wrong. I didn't feel like I had to shut up. And because I wasn't, I couldn't see the other person, but I could feel them, I wasn't preoccupied. I, I don't know how, you know, and I think one of the biggest challenges for social work is how do we create the right kind of safety mm-hmm. for both us? And I like the point you made about the fact that it's not just the other side that's carrying anxiety and worry and distress and all those things. It's us as well um, for us to be able to connect with people in a meaningful way. And I think that's a, a really big challenge when we think about this mm-hmm. skill. I didn't expect us to to talk about confession in any of our podcasts, Joe. Um, but obviously it's something that I have um, done. Um, and I think I think one of the things you mentioned there about the the lack of judgment is interesting. I think there's a you know a lot of um, myths around what confession is and the kind of aspect of guilt and all that sort of stuff. But the, the, the fundamental of it is that there's an acceptance of whatever you say. Mm. There are consequences and implications to it in terms of um, what you might be asked to do, mm. uh, like for example, if you confessed a crime, you would be asked to go and and tell the authorities. But the 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 kind of premise is that there's an acceptance of you, and yeah, and if you can feel that, then there is a real um, safety in that you're not going to be rejected. Mm. Um, and I think that's such an important point in all of this, Jerry. In communication, is not rejecting the essential person, but understanding that there will be consequences to the conversations. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's something in social work, isn't it? We have to be really clear. There are consequences for the conversations we have, but somehow we have to bring with us that acceptance and value of the person Mm-hmm. so that the person doesn't feel their fundamental self is rejected in the things that they're saying. Yeah. And I think that's a real gift. Yeah, absolutely. So I was having a look at some of the, the research about the importance of, of listening, particularly. It comes up again and again as something that people with lived experience of social work highlight. And I think it's probably worth prefacing this by saying, it's not that social workers don't know this, it's that it's really difficult to do it. Mm. And I suppose one of the reasons we're talking about it in this podcast is just to kind of re reaffirm the centrality of it, that other things flow from it. So it, it's um, hopefully it's, it's useful to people to kind of reconnect with the importance of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but whilst we do recognise how difficult it is to do. So some work by... Um, by Moriarty, Manthorpe, Gorin and Baginski around really recently around um, social work with children. Again, this was in England, um, was about um, how social workers show that they're listening. So children gave accounts of their experiences of, 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 of social work um, and the importance of picking up on, you know, not so much on what the social worker said to them, but how they said it. 
So children, for example, said that they knew that the social worker listened to them because they responded with appropriate questions or answered the child or went quiet when the child was talking. Children are really, really wise, aren't they? They can spot whether we're preoccupied or not. Um, mm. Also, children kind of highlighted really picking up on nonverbal cues and how important these were. So if, for example, somebody was reading paperwork or looking away, children really noticed that. Um, mm. And some children said that they felt upset by social workers taking notes whilst talking to them, which is really interesting because I think I've always taken notes in visits. Um, children also said that communication um, kind of failed in their eyes because they weren't asked the right questions or asked the same questions over and over or misunderstood what the child meant. And um, they did, you know, the children did take agency as, as communicators. They did decide what they were going to talk to um, who they were going to talk to about which things. Um, so there was this really wonderful quote from this research. Uh, All the other social workers, they gabble and gabble and gabble. They just want information out of you. This person doesn't do that. She just says, well, we won't want, we don't want information. We just want to know about stuff, what was making you happy and sad. I really like that. I don't want information. I just want to know about gabble, stuff. Gabble, gabble, gabble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was, um, there was a really old article that I dug up again from 2007 by Barrister Crofton Adshead, which was about social work um, with people at end of life. And it's got this really wonderful mm -hmm. title, We Don't See Her as a Social Worker, um, which was a quote from somebody saying about how important listening was and how the social worker become more like a friend. Um, mm -hmm. So again, there's a really wonderful, some wonderful quotes from that. They just listen to you, whatever you know your problems are or how you feel, she'll be at your side. They just sit and listen. Um, and then another person saying, just prepared to listen. She listened basically and where she felt that she needed to give some counselling advice, whatever she would offer it to me, but she wouldn't force it on me. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you say, Jerry, people, people know this. We all know this and we're, and we're taught it extensively, um, you know, in our degrees and we're constantly practicing it. But like all the things in the social work world, um, these are, are very, very difficult skills, these interpersonal skills. They're very hard to do well and they're easy to shortcut when you're under pressure or you're preoccupied or you have strong emotions or anxieties yourself. And I guess that's that's the reason it's a it's it's good to go back and listen to what people who've experienced social work say to us about it and to kind of remind ourselves again that the stuff sounds quite simple really, doesn't it? The things that people don't gabble at people. Don't force stuff on people. Sit beside people. You know, these are, these are all sound like simple things, but some of them are, are very difficult to do when you also have yeah. um, an agenda riding you. Yeah, so, one yeah. of the reasons I think we wanted to do this series is, is partly to reaffirm how important these things are, but also to to reassert, the, you know, to, to properly recognise the and celebrate the skill that goes into it, the expertise that goes into it. Um, mm. You know, not just I, anyone can talk to just anyone or no, and listen and, to just and listen, <laughs> active listening, active listening is, is, you know, really, really important. And I think I talked about some of the skills that we need when, when I talked about intentionality. And for me, a lot of the actions that the children just spoke about were spot on. 
um, you know, follow what is being said and ask questions related to that topic. You know, when you want to or you need to change the topic, signal it really clearly first because sometimes people can be trying to keep you on a topic that feels safer so that you can't get on to other things. That's, you know, because people some, you know, because sometimes when we're working with people in social work, people feel they have a lot to lose from an encounter with us. They will be trying to manage that encounter and we're trying to manage it as well. Um, and one of the things that I found useful was actually at the very beginning setting my stall out really clearly. So setting time limits like so we have 30 minutes together. So how about if you talk to me about the things that you want to talk about for 10 minutes and I'll listen to you. Then I'll talk for 10 minutes about some of the things that I want. And then together we'll use the last 10 minutes to talk about what we thought we heard and what caught our interest in what each other said. You know, something something where you actually, if you if you are genuinely in a really pressured situation, that you're really setting that that stall out clearly, mm -hmm. so that people understand a few of the rules, because I think there's nothing worse than setting someone up to think that they're going to have your attention, or that they're going to be able to run the session the way that they want to or feel they need to and then having you coming in mm. doing something completely different. So for me, there's something about inactive listening, about really offering clarity about power sharing, really. And this was the other thing that I started thinking about, you know, the talking stick, the person who holds the talking stick has the power and social workers often use that talking stick too much due to what's informing their encounters, encounters. So setting up those agreements about how to power share, I think, can be quite helpful as a skill. Yeah, and we do have to do, we have to take the initiative on that, don't we? We have to do a lot of the running on that because yep. there is automatically power attached. Um, and it's interesting, some of the research around um, listening within within social work pointed to the way that people assert their power by um, managing what they tell people and how they tell people that or, or withdrawing from conversations. So if mm. we really want to um, create some kind of shared understanding through that encounter, then kind of we have to get, meet more than halfway. Yeah. Um, and really, really kind of show that kind of good faith, that goodwill at the mm. start. Um, and that is really difficult when you've got a kind of mandatory role, a role that you know, you're essentially having a conversation with someone that maybe they don't want to have. Mm. Um, but that's again, it's that kind of purposefulness, isn't it? It's, it's really being clear about why and, and, and even the most difficult conversations can be done really humanely. And for me, it's about if you go back to your definition, Jerry, it just sparked in me that idea of not being on speaking terms. We're often working with people who don't feel they're on speaking terms with us. And that's that first barrier is that they don't have that that idea that we're the person they want to share this kind of stuff with 
yet the stuff we're asking is is you know really the deep stuff of life um so I kind of was thinking you know I tried to think about in active listening what are two things that I find that really work and I'd really love to hear from other people about what they find as well but for me just be genuinely interested in the other person and enjoy their talking enjoy the fact that they're talking to you and 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 whatever it is they want to offer you it's a real gift actually Mm. um and be really curious about things they're saying and follow up those little things that pique your interest when it's your turn and I put in when it's your turn because as you know Jerry I'm a chronic interrupter because I get excited by what people say and it sparks off all these thoughts in my brain but I'm trying and this is a lifelong endeavor guys a lifelong endeavor to let people finish their their pieces first. Um, and if we listen to these podcasts, they're full of me interrupting Jerry, whose thoughtfulness always gets my brain sparking. But what I'm trying to learn is that a sparking brain does not have to lead to a speaking mouth. But you're also really good at setting people at their ease. On a really practical level, having the ability to create a conversation out of nothing um, is and to start to get because people get on speaking terms by speaking in some ways you know mm. so there is a you know there's the real art isn't there to knowing when to, when to hold back and when to step forward um and yeah yeah and these are some of the things that are preoccupying our little brains in these encounters and honestly like if if we listed all the different skills social workers are using to have a meaningful, helpful and worthwhile encounter, we'd just cover a wall. We would. It's just fascinating. And for me, like counselling, you know, um, I loved the quote that you had got here from um, this woman who said she was just prepared to listen. She listened basically and where she felt that she needed to give some counselling or advice, whatever, she would offer it to me, but she wouldn't force it on me. Yeah. And this was from um, a UK woman, um, a patient, and that was what she said about her counselling. And I I really love counselling. I went and looked at the origin of the word counselling. Um, it comes from Latin and it means to offer consultation or advice. So one of the things as a counsellor is that we do offer advice, which seems to be the bit that most people pride themselves on. But we also offer consultation. And this is kind of the money bit for me, because this is a bit where we listen to understand what's driving people to communicate with us so that we can offer hopeful help. I'm really hung up on hopeful help nowadays, Jerry, because I've experienced a lot of what I would consider to be hopeless help, help that leaves you feeling hopeless. But hopeful help or advice is advice where the person who bought the issue feels that the issue has been properly understood or explored, that in the exploration they've been given space to find inside of their own, and that the advice that is offered is practical and allows them choice. So as the lady above said, so not what you need to do is A, B and C, or you have to do A, B and C, but rather here are some of the things that I know people with your issue or in your position have done. Or, this reminds me of something I was reading. Could I share that with you? 
And you, if you do that, you need to make sure you give them the root of the knowledge as well as the leaves. So in other words, give them the book or the article title, make sure they can access it themselves. If they would struggle to read, sit with them and point out the part you're talking to and talk it through. This is power sharing as well. Part of counselling is allowing people to have insight into where you gained your knowledge from so that they don't think it's magic. They understand that it's accessible and that they can gain it themselves so that they can have control themselves. Um, so that's kind of something that I think about when I think about that kind of um, counselling model of listening and the skills that you need for that, for that part of your work. Um, and I think sometimes in social work we fall hard on the skills of telling and selling rather than curious, insightful exploration. But in my experience on both sides of the table, the second way is much more helpful, but it's costly. I think part of the reason that we, we tell more than we ideally would is because there's the pressure on social workers to to get that message across and get things changed. And, mm. and there's very often a really really ticking clock in the background mm. and I think that that you know, that um resisting that pressure is very hard and and the it goes back again to this purposefulness doesn't it because you know unless we unless we have the um the motivation unless we're talking at the level of motivation of the person um unless we're communicating around that around their motivation and and their uh, their reality then it is just instruction that slides off. It needs yeah. to take root somewhere. Um, yeah. So you know, doing that work to uncover motivation and understand and find something that will work for that person is, is you know, again, I think everyone realizes you know, that that's going to bear much more fruit. Uh, but it, it can be hard to assert that space. Mm. And I think the telling, I, I don't dismiss that, what you, what you said in the beginning, you know, that social workers had to give clear messages. I think that's exactly right. There shouldn't, people shouldn't be wondering why we're there or what our, what our um, purpose is or what consequences are. There sh that we should be laying our stall out clearly. And often when we lay our stall out, that is a telling stall, actually, um, but there, it's about how you parcel off the time you have allotted, isn't it? How you actually talk about, you know, so when I was a counsellor, the first thing I would do was let the person know the kind of rules of the room, really. Mm -hmm. This is how long we're together for. These are the things that I can do. And these are the things that I can't do. And these are some of the things that if you told me, I would need to do something else about. Mm -hmm. So that was all laid out really clearly. And then the notes, um, I would prefer to keep notes if we're going to have more than one session for these reasons. If you don't want me to keep notes, that's okay. But at the end, can I ask that you write down things that we've agreed we're going to talk about next session and bring them back with you, if you're able to have that kind of agreement? Mm -hmm. So for me, there was something about using 10 minutes at the beginning to really be clear. And I think I think we 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 have to as social workers 
offering clarity mm. and and so using that telling skill does matter but for me it's about when do we then hand the hand the power over and actually do that curious exploration work and i agree with you holding that space is really tricky i was doing quite a lot of work over the last few years around clarity of message because like most people who've been doing something for a while you just have so much information in your head that when you're asked a straightforward question um, I'll speak for myself when I'm asked a straightforward question I tend to give a very long answer with lots of caveats and kind of well there's this but on the other hand that and da, 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 which leaves the person more confused than ever and also very easy to fall into terminology that's not understandable or you make references that are you know not not clear um so i had to do various tv interviews and things over the last few years and i had some really really good training around that some really good coaching around that and just about some simple things um which kind of got me back to thinking okay well how do i how do i express myself generally so the, the kind of major points keep whatever you're saying or as short as possible um say the most important thing first uh don't make more than three points at once be clear about why you're saying the thing you're saying uh use words that you would use if you were talking to a friend or if it is a technical term that you need to use like assessment or child protection plan or something like that you say what it means and then also really good advice around humanizing whatever it is you're saying um, and the best way of humanizing something is to give an example of a person in that experience so i just i just found that so useful that you know you would try not to speak for more than a minute and be really thoughtful about how much you were trying to convey and the, the words you were using and it was a really good discipline actually to practice answering a question like the question might be you know, if, if i turned up at an older person's house to do an assessment so who are you and, and why are you here exactly can you answer that as a social worker in in less than a minute in a way that's that's really clear and straightforward and uses non-technical language um, and actually generally i can't do that so it's, it's good to practice i think that's really interesting jerry because i think one of the skills that you have is is an ability to synthesize really complex things very well um, both in writing and in speaking and it's one of the reasons that I enjoy listening to you so much um, and I and I like the fact that you don't you know like well you know like with me I'm I'm not always I don't always see the shades of grey you know I'll run into one area and I'll be like right it's like this and I like that being pulled back into that on the other hand so I think there is some value in that but I agree with you when you're trying to come to when you're trying to put a message across you really need to think about what's the purpose of me having this conversation um, and that point you made about humanizing things how much we share of ourselves, I, th I think that's a really interesting topic um, people who listen to this podcast well now I do it all the time I, I tend to communicate through stories and I draw on my own experiences to get points across and I do think that's okay in public speaking and in podcasts and other places where you're holding the talking stick and you're trying to use that human connection to make a point. I do think there's a fine line between motivating and teaching using personal stories and being careful not to overwhelm your audience um, with emotional guilt. 
And the other thing that I'd just like to talk about is um, uh, the the um, voices that we invite in from people who have experienced trauma and making sure that they understand and they have the skills to keep themselves safe and not become overwhelmed by their own distress. And I mentioned this because we need to hear all sorts of voices in the work that we do. It's really, really important. And in my company, we ex we employ people who have experience and we want to hear those experiences. But I felt, particularly when this kind of users by uh, experts by experience started, that people were open to exploitation, particularly young people. Um, and I've seen things happen where young people are encouraged to share and the audience, it took on more of a tone of a kind of um, exposure of shame on the part of the young person. And then the response from the audience was a heightened emotional outpouring um, about the young person's bravery. And the audience was kind of swept away by these feelings. But the young person was really distressed by them as well. And so I think that there always needs to be care and thought for all of us when we're sharing things, that we understand our own limitations and other people's limitations to listen, and we understand how to keep ourselves safe and that we understand how to keep other people safe when we're, when we're doing this kind of work. Um, so I think it's really highly skilled work that needs support around it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think that's... Um... I mean, what you're saying there around the you how much you ask people to share and how you respond to it and the kind of man, I guess it's emotional containment as well, isn't it? Because, mm. yeah, again, we, we hear a lot from people with experience of social work that they're asked to share things that they've already shared mm. over and over. Um, yeah. Um, and that, that again, it goes back to the, the intentionality, doesn't it? You know, why is it? what's what's the where's the helpfulness in in hearing something um what's the purpose of of the, the conversation that we're having about someone's experience um and again yeah purposefulness about sharing anything about ourselves as well um because again it comes out in in the research that you know young people um for example say you know that i was expected to tell them everything about me but i didn't know anything about them yeah. you know, as as a, as a criticism but equally, I, some of us might have had experience, say, of a supervisor who we go along to talk to and they talk about themselves. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a balance, definitely. It's about power, Jerry. This is all about power, this, this whole conversation, because it's about sharing the power properly so that the reason that we're asking people to share their experiences or the reason we're sharing our experiences are to bring value to the conversation for ourselves and for others um, not to feel something vicariously or to keep the person in a powerless position you know anyone who is speaking there should be a consequence to their words and their story that is more than just an emotional rush 
there should be some weight put on them. There should be some understanding. They should be informing things. They should be changing things. They should be challenging things. Um, and I, and I, so for me, it's all about how do we, how do we make sure that power sharing is genuine and fair? And that's what young people are saying. You are coming in, you're raking everything from me and you're offering nothing back. That's about power as well. Yeah. You know, don't take everything and give nothing back. And it might not be that the child or the young person wants to hear your life or your struggles, but they want to understand your humanity and they want to understand that what you've offered, what they've offered you actually has some meaning and and they want to understand about the meaning you're making of it. Yeah. Um, and I have seen very sadly um, in my own life that kind of information raking response and, and how distressed it can make a young person feel when when they have that done to them. And I've I've also, you know, seen it at work. And like I said, I saw it at that convention where that young person was completely and utterly overwhelmed with distress and shame at what they were sharing. Yeah. So safety matters. It and, really does. And power yeah. sharing matters. And that's, again, that's a communication thing, isn't it? It's, it's creating that, um, making conveying so clearly that you're a safe person and why that is um but the, the thing we haven't talked that much about is you know, the the additional barriers that people face around yeah. um being heard um being listened to being able to communicate um mm. but i think all of those um all of our responses to those you know more or less specialist or more or less technical they kind of flow from the, that principle really around um it's our job to to ensure that someone is heard and understood and that what they're conveying is is part of um is a key part is a central part of of what um of what our response is and so yeah that's the social model isn't it it's that recognition that um it's the the things around people that are barriers to them being able to communicate and that we work as hard as we can to to overcome those and, and, and are willing to adapt um, and recognising as well that we can be part of the problem. You know, we've talked yeah. about the, the lack of time that we might have or the, the barrier of a of a laptop held up in front of someone or, um, you yeah, know, so it, it does all go back to that intentionality. And I think for me that you make me think automatically I move into um, when I used to work in the disabilities field in the 80s. Um, and then there were a whole lot of tools that we used to carry around like Makaton picture cards um, and kind of different recording devices. But also, you know, having basic sign language can be really helpful depending where you're working, um, being really aware of how people process um, and how they're trying to communicate, making sure that you have um, different types of resources around you. It's not always just pen and paper, but that you can bring uh, like little toys. But there's also lots of really fantastic um, 
apps now that you can use, uh, apps that will change things into um, text so that people who are deaf can read it along with you. Uh, there's all sorts of different different adaptations out there that we should be really looking into and making sure that we're using as widely as we can to help people who have communication difficulties and that we're not just thinking well, they can't communicate. And one of the things that I learned, and you said it earlier, Jerry, which really interested me, that children were very good at sensing um, our purpose and intention and, and whether we were offering attention to them. A lot of young people who are nonverbal um, with disabilities, remembering that for for many young people who who have disabilities but also might not have um might have physical impairments, they're really reliant on all of the adults around them. And all, all the people around them. And so their skills of observation are often quite highly tuned. Um, and so they can read intentionality really well. And we need to be always looking for what people are picking up and how they're managing cues in their environment and trying to work out ways to respond to those. Yeah. Um, there was a few practical things I was thinking about around this. Um, I mean, it, working with older people, there's some there's some sort of very straightforward extremely practical things like check if the person has a hearing aid and that it's in and it's on and it's working check if they have glasses and that they're wearing them check if they have dentures and that those are in you know, make sure that you made the environment as as good as possible for having a conversation um, and just that I mean that you know any anyone who's done any social work or you know, work with building relationships with people will know all the kind of practical things around the importance of a cup of tea, the noticing something in someone's environment, like a photograph or a, an object and having a conversation about that. Um, yeah, we, we take the mickey quite a lot in this country about how much people talk about the weather. But the reason that we talk about it is because it's a safe topic to start. And you can get on speaking terms around the weather and then move on. So, I mean, all of those really human kind of practical things. Um, just really help. Um, yeah, I agree, Jerry. It just it, it, and you know, I love the idea that idea of you know thinking about your environment, thinking about whether people have their hearing aids in and, the, and they're working, they're not uncomfortable for them. When I was um, school counsellor, I worked both in primary schools and in secondary schools, and in both settings, I used to leave out a whole range of fidget things, um, so coloured pens and paper, but also. Um, string and beads and um, what would be classified now as fidget spinners are those type of play-doh plasticine things that you could you know that were tactile um, and I just used to leave them on the on in the space we were talking in so that people had access to them and they knew that they were there they knew they had access to them and they would just kind of be spilled around and it was really interesting how many especially young adolescent boys would pick things up and fiddle with them um, and it would preoccupy them, give their hands something to do while they were talking. And that's the other thing. Don't always think you have to be stationary. You know, you guys know all this. Social workers know this stuff. You know, you know on walks that you'll get more out of kids. You know that you will get more out of people sometimes when you're driving them somewhere. You know, somewhere Doing something where else feeling. takes the pressure off, yeah. doesn't it? Exactly. I, I was talking we to a social this. worker who had the most amazing conversation with someone when they went and did their nails with them. Yeah. And they were worried that 
going and doing their nails with someone wasn't somehow okay. But yeah. in terms of the purposefulness, it was the most amazing thing yeah. to do. So Exactly, because we we know that if if we've got difficult things to get through, it really helps not to be sitting in in an exposed way having something else to do. And I think social workers are really good at combining physicality with listening and all of those types of things. Um, as you say, Jerry, this is an area where social workers have a huge degree of skill. The systems and the environments they work in don't always allow us to connect to those skills in the way that we should. And so I hope in this podcast, people are like going, yeah, yeah, you know, these are some of the things that I do and some of the things that I think about. Yeah. So in terms of the kind of reflection to finish up with, the first thing that I've made a note of is notice what you're doing. Absolutely. That thing of like notice the expertise um, and let's not take it for granted. Let's celebrate that it's there and also recognize that there's always um, ways of, of honing it. Um, and then I found this really good quote, which goes back to something you were saying, um, from Stephen Covey, which says, people don't listen to understand, they listen to reply. And that's mm. where the kind of problem lies. So listening to understand mm. is a really is a really good concept. 